0: This, this is
1: the Second, Second
0: Story Podcast.
1: Welcome back to the Second Story Podcast. I'm Max Spitz. Happy Valentine's Day, everyone. Today is the day our calendars tell us to celebrate love, so we thought we'd join in the festivities, though we'd also argue love is worth celebrating all year round. This week's teller, Martinique Hallarduff, brings us a story of firsts first kiss, first love and first parental disapproval due to questionable hygiene habits. Recorded live at Pub 626 in Chicago in December 2019, Second Story is proud to present the abandoned bus we call Doodoo.
0: The summer before college, I try to add personality to the dress code parameters at Target So cool people, so cool people will know I'm not like a regular cashier. Like that red vest doesn't own me. I have my self-made hemp necklace on top and bell-bottom jeans down below. This is decently edgy for Northern Michigan in the mid-90s. I was also a day camp counselor and my style had to go from playground to checkout lane which is why I had my Target-issued red vest on over my camp t-shirt the first time I saw her. My cashier's light signals my readiness to scan when I look up. I see a white girl with dreadlocks wearing these huge worn out overalls that are almost completely covered in patches, like the ones you get at state parks or Girl Scout camp, but also huge butterflies or rainbows embroidered onto other material and sewn on. It's not that she's beautiful, she's just fucking weird. (laughs) Suddenly the ribbons I had woven into a braid in my long straight hair seem like a failed attempt at something she is succeeding at. It's like she looks on the outside the way I feel on the inside. I duck behind the pole that holds the cashier's light to study every detail of her clothes and the way she moves. I watch her and touch my hemp necklace. Oh. I could tell the way she has her head down, she feels like she doesn't belong, like everyone is staring at her, and they are, and I am. I wanna be next to her, to be stared at with her and then walk together toward the automatic doors and have them slide open in front of us and welcome us to the rest of our lives, which would begin in the parking lot outside of Target. Later the same week, I'm sitting on my front porch, and I swear I see her go into my next-door neighbor's house. I steal my older sister's Grateful Dead tapes and walk next door and knock. I can hardly see inside through the screen door, but I see someone approach, and I hold up the shoebox of tapes like an offering. The door opens, and it's her she steps outside and immediately i smell her she smells like patchouli nag champa and like she doesn't wear deodorant or shower frequently (laughs) i'm kate she says with a shrug and smiles at me it turns out the neighbor kids are her cousins We sit in the grass in my backyard, which runs up against a field, and she tells me all about the world, which basically means rainbow gatherings and fish shows and her life in Chicago, outside my small town in northern Michigan. We lie on our backs in the grass and stare up at the sky into our future because we're 18 and we just met someone that gets us and it's lovely. When she gets up to go, she hugs me, like really hugs me. Our entire body is pressed together. I can feel her stomach and chest push into and out of mine. Her smell is concentrated around her neck, and she smells so good. I have never been this close to someone, ever. I tentatively squeeze her, and she tightens her arms around me like a go-ahead to sigh completely into that hug. She leaves, and all I want is more... He moves from Chicago to Traverse City, to the other side of the field and down a hill. She makes me a shirt like hers that ties with green ribbons. It turns out she is the second vegetarian I have ever met. <laughs> and we spend all summer together cutting through the field to get to each other's houses. One day that summer, we're driving around outside of town and discover an abandoned school bus just sitting in an open field. Its old white and green paint is chipped like it's been there forever. Kate's eyes light up. She calls me the nickname she gave me. Neek, let's just go look at it. I pull over. She makes a run for the bus, and I follow her lead. We don't go inside that first time, but we do give it a name. doo <laughs> Which might sound strange, but we had just watched a Senegalese drummer perform at the community college named Doodoo and Dia Rose, and we were obsessed with him. <laughs> we begin a ritual of visiting Dudu multiple times per week, hanging out for hours inside or just stopping by to take a picture with our analog cameras. We swear to never tell anyone about Dudu. I leave for school and become much cooler those first few months. I see Fish and Rusted Root in concert. I make my own dresses, embroider nature scenes onto them, and send Kate pictures of me wearing them with my letters. I see Bob Dylan too, just me and my dad, which makes me feel like the hippie version of old money. I get a job as a barista, and I make friends with an actual lesbian called Blue who introduces me to Patti Smith and Annie DeFranco, and in talking to Blue one day, I realize I like, like Kate. In November, I'm home for Thanksgiving break, and we have a whole week and two weekends together. My parents are going downstate to, vi- to pick up my sister at college in Kalamazoo and agree to take Kate and me with them. We are going to have an adventure. We're gonna get out of this small town together and go to Kalamazoo. <laughs> a real city. Practically a cultural Mecca compared to Traverse City. In Kalamazoo, there are whole houses where kids our age live together and have couches on their porch. I know, because I visited my sister at college. But best of all, Kate has friends there, and she wants me to meet them. She wants them to meet me. We're going to stay overnight with our friends, probably just crash on a floor with blankets, like real travelers, we'll be wrapped around each other and it will be perfect. We look forward to it all week. This trip is also a preview of the rest of our lives where we'll live on the road, go to shows and festivals in our own van and share everything we have. We are fully capable of previewing this whole thing from the back seat of my parents minivan. (laughs) The night before, Kate and I are in the basement of my parents house We're eating bagel chips with whipped cream cheese and hatching plans. We're nestled into the big old brown pull-out couch. I sit with my back against the arm of the couch and my feet tucked under her legs. Kate asked to check on my developing dreadlocks. This is one of my favorite things. I lay my head on her lap and my hand on her leg as she picks up a long tangle and starts to pull it apart from the one next to it, ripping my hair. We hear the basement door open, and we instinctively jump to opposite ends of the couch and, get, and grab bagel chips like props. <laughs> my dad bounces downstairs and leans against the low cabinet. He folds his arm and sighs and tells us, We can't drive you to Kalamazoo tomorrow. It's a three-hour drive, and we can't ride all that way in the car with you. And here my dad looks directly at Kate, and she kind of shrinks into the corner of the couch, and I'm just watching because, frankly, Kate, you smell. (laughs) Dad! I scream at him. I am appalled. He gave me no warning, and I couldn't jump in front of that bullet for her. I mean, in his defense, she did smell. (laughs) She rarely showered and didn't wear deodorant. Kate grabs her bag and her shoes and runs upstairs and out of the house. I run upstairs, get in the car, and chase her down. I'm afraid she'll blame me. Kate, get in! Please get in! I'm so sorry! She looks at me from outside the car and pauses and then gets in. She tells me she hates my dad, and seeing her cry makes me hate him for that moment, too. But my dad had never done anything like this. I mean, he took me to see Bob Dylan. He had always been the cool dad, and now he had embarrassed Kate, thwarted our adventure, interrupted our intimate dreadlock maintenance time, and (laughs) derailed the possibility of her loving me. Luckily, by Christmas break, things are better. Our letters back and forth had grown even more intimate than before, partly because we had more inside jokes. doo becomes this proxy where Kate sends me melodramatic love poems to Doodoo, and I write love letters to Doodoo and send them to her. We visit our bus as soon as I'm home and take winter pictures with snow falling on the three of us. Kate comes over to my house a few days into Christmas break. We're lying on our backs on my twin bed listening to music. My red lava lamp glows on top of my dresser and a string of butterfly lights trail over the poster of Doodoo the musician and our drawings taped to the wall. She says she has bad news. I turn on my side to look at her. Neek, I don't want to make you sad. I'm sad. After Christmas, I have to move in with my dad. He lives in Maryland, but I don't want to leave you. We stare at the ceiling and glance at each other. She asks, what are you thinking? I was thinking of this poem I wrote. Do you want to hear it? I read her a thinly-veiled teenage love poem that starts, Words I hardly mean escape, and I wonder what she'd do if she knew the words I'd never freed. She asks, Do you want to tell me something? (laughs) Yes, but I don't know if I should burden you with knowing. Is it bad? No! I say quickly. I pause. I have to tell her. So I begin. I, I wish before I want, I wanted to, Kate! Martinique, what? Before you leave, I wish I kissed you, but I never kissed anyone before, and Kate interrupts me, I have wanted to kiss you forever, and I thought it would be really special if I got to be the first one to ever kiss you, but I was scared you would think I was weird. Really? I ask her. Yes, and now I'm leaving after all this time, and I finally realized I really love you. Kate, I love you. And so she kisses me, and she says, I hope it was an okay first kiss. I pause. Yeah, but we could do it again, and we do.
1: This story was produced by Casey Truba, curated by Latanya Lane, directed by Max Spitz, with music and sound design by Nick Park. The Second Story podcast is produced by Max Spitz. Second Story is supported by the MacArthur Fund for Art and Culture, the Richard H. Treehouse Foundation, Scadden Arps, Slate Meager, and Flom, the Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, the Chicago Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events, CoBank, and many generous individuals like you. I'm Max Spitz, and this this, this is the Second,
0: second Story podcast. podcast.